0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of Life Point Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, we're in a series entitled Joy. We've been working through the first chapter of the letter of Philippians, and today we come to the last four verses... We're going to talk about gospel faithfulness, the precedence of Christian living, the precedence of Christian living. Let's go to verse 27, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter before we continue. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding and the obeying of his word today. So I love to hike. It's just something I love. If God hadn't redeemed me, I probably would be living in the middle of nowhere on the side of a river somewhere because that's where I used to love to spend all my time, pre-Jesus. But I get to the woods as often as I can because the deeper I go and the longer I wander, the more my soul just begins to sing. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you hear somebody, it could be me. I love to hike. This summer I was able to complete what I would call a bucket list kind of uh, desire for me uh, uh, in in a hike in Colorado. Uh, It was a 26 plus mile backpack trip. We crossed four passes that each of them were over 12,000 feet and, and I got to share it with seven friends who cajoled and taunted me all the way. And here's what I learned from that. The trail is often difficult and sometimes it's dangerous and it demands that one be vigilant at all times. But the very best Views, and this is the reason I hike, they only come after the hardest work and the highest challenge for the biggest payoff. The glory of the view, though, is the fuel that pushes you through the difficulty of the trail, knowing where you're headed and knowing what you're going to see when you get there. And the harassment of friends going, You got 20 seconds, Harrison, and then we're moving again. That helps too sometimes, but I'm just saying. When we come to verses like verse 29 and 30, it can be easy for us to just kind of move right past. But we must not do that. We must understand the call of God to follow Christ at all times in this life. We we must not allow the hard times, yet even the suffering of our life, to deter our faithfulness. And that's where Paul brings us today. And he introduces it with this one word, only. Only. Now, most of the time in the higher forms of literature of the English language, you don't read the word only and go, oh, what a beautiful word. Oh, this is just captivating. Only. Right? And yet Paul does something by this word that kind of stops us for a moment. And I'm hoping to pause for that moment this morning. That word expresses his thought, it completes his thought rather, as it expresses the idea of aloneness or solitariness. He's not winding down his argument, he's amping it up. It's a crescendo through to the very end, and the word is not one of simple transition. You know, we we are accustomed to much of Paul's writings when he uses the word therefore like in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers. What is he urging? Well, in the first 11 verses, we have the greatest treatise of our salvation in Jesus Christ in more detail than most humans could possibly Potentially understand and it is in a greater glory. And then he goes, Therefore, so he says the, the 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 foundation of theology and biblical teaching that I give to you, we're going to turn now to show you how to apply it into your life. That's what a therefore is for. But only is a little different. It's not transitioning, rather he's saying, what I am about to say to you deserves a placement of priority in your life. This is Paul's highest exhortation. This is what he is saying to the Philippians is most important for him to say to them and for them to understand about what he is saying. And so we have to ask the question, what is it that is most important that stands alone? And here's what he says. Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. The manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. I want to encourage you to do this. If if you are one that writes in your Bible when you study, I would encourage you to draw a rectangle around the word only set it apart and then circle manner and worthy and draw a line between the two of them because that's what i'm going to do in today's message for us you see the way a follower of jesus lives is so important that it stands alone above all else The gospel stands alone in its solitary value and it is worthy of a person's whole life. And so the way you demonstrate the worth of the gospel is for it to determine the whole of your life. Paul is saying, you know, sometimes we get confused and we want to think that that living a gospel-worthy life is just for the few. It's for the elite. It's for the special forces of Christianity. But that's not true at all. As a matter of fact, what Paul is saying is he's saying it's for everyone who follows Christ. And of all that the Philippians have experienced with Paul when he came to town and he got arrested and put in jail and then kicked out of town and then over the next decade or so where they've seen Paul be abused and beaten and thrown in prison and unjustly accused, with every one of these things Paul says this, you've experienced it, you've witnessed, and the highest glory for each one is to still give your whole life for the fullest display of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. You see, the way a Christ follower lives should represent the worth of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. The gospel is not, excuse me, the gospel is worthy not only of the priority in our thinking as we saw a couple of weeks ago, but also the precedence in our manner of living. And so knowing what it should lead to causes us to ask then, what does this mean? What does a manner worthy mean for us? Simply this, the worth of the gospel determines the way of life. The worth of the gospel determines the way of life. Your manner is worthy. Your manner is worthy. When you know the worth or the value of the gospel then you know how much of your life you can align with the gospel. When you know the the value of the gospel, you know how much of your life you can actually extend for the gospel. When you know the value of the gospel, you know in what ways and, yea, even to what extent you can expend your life for the gospel. It's kind of like climbing a tree. You want to make sure that any branch you dare to crawl out on is strong enough to hold you when you get to the end of it, right? You want to stay just inside where that branch is strong enough. You don't want to get to the end of the branch of the tree and find out not strong enough there. Bad things happen when that happens. So you wouldn't want to align part of your life with the gospel that wasn't sufficient to cover it, right? I mean, you, you wouldn't want to expend your life in an overextended way or to expect more from the gospel than it was able to cover or in some way attempt more for it than it could accomplish for you. Now, this may all sound strange to you. And the better you know me, the more you understand I'm setting you up. But in a good way. Because we've all asked these kinds of questions and we've wondered for some situation in our life this, how much can I trust God here? You ever asked that question? Haven't we all? How far can I really trust God in this situation, in this relationship, in this circumstance? Whatever the case may be, how far will God prove faithful if I trust Him, for some of the most deep emotional wounds of our life, our deepest grieves and, and hurts, we ask, how, how deeply can I trust God that He can do for me what I most need You see, one's trust in God and the way they live should be directly proportionate to the worth of the gospel. I will tell you this, the way we live is always proportionate to what we believe about God. But that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that the manner of our life should be proportionate to the worth of the gospel. To what we know to be true of God, not just what we're willing to believe about God. And so this is the one question that Paul addresses with the Philippians and that he's purporting to us today. And friends, his answer is big. Really big. Here's what it is. Jesus is worthy of our all. All the way in every way. Jesus is worthy of our all, all the way, in every way. Now, I don't often ask for this, so please just entertain me for a moment. I want you to participate and say this with me. Jesus is worthy all the way, in every way. Okay, you got it now, okay? If I can just get one of you to do it, the rest of you will chime in, so... Here we go. Who's going to be my main stick right now, right? Jesus is worthy all the way in every way. Last time, if you say it loud enough, and like you mean it, I will not make you repeat it. But if you don't, we're going to be stuck here for a while. Okay, here we go. Jesus is worthy all the way in every way. Now the more you keep saying that, you'll start believing it. You can trust God for all things, all the way in everything, because there is nothing he has not promised nor provided, both in this life and in eternity by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, in Christ, every promise of God is yes. And there's a period at the end of that sentence. It's not still being written. It is done. It is established for all times and Amen. We agree. So be it. That's what it is in Christ. Yes and amen. And the manner of life for a Christ follower is all the way in every way. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. As big as the gospel, you can trust God with your life. Remember and consider the worth of the gospel. What does Romans 1.16 tell us? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. A Christ follower's whole life with God is hidden in Christ. He's got you all. All of you, not part of you, all of you. And that's how much you can trust him. The old hymn we sing says to us all the way, my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, hereby faith in Him to dwell. For I know what befall me, Jesus, doeth all things well. You see, friends... We've got to consider what it means when we don't live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Because a partial manner of life for the Christian bears a false witness to Jesus. It says he's worthy of some. It says it might even say he's worthy of a whole lot. He's worthy of most. But none of that is true. Those are all half-truths. And you know what a half-truth is? It's a whole lie. You see, a Christian bears a false testimony when we live like only a part of the gospel is true. When a percentage of it is true. And usually we're the ones that determine that percentage. We, we bear a false witness when one says Jesus is mostly worthy. He's somewhat able and he is kind of glorious. We bear a false witness when we live like we believe God will be faithful to take us to heaven when we die. But he's not really worthy of my devotion my time or my energy right now. We bear false testimony when we live like God should get a measure of credit for the good in our life, but he loses control and bears the blame when something goes wrong, when we get hurt or hard times come. You see, we bear false testimony when we are quick to say God is so good because life is stable, life is steady or even rising, but he's not good when it's not we we bear a false testimony when we believe or when we live like we believe some area of life is not worth being bothered by or that the teaching of his word is not worth believing like what he says about purity what he says about integrity What he says about marriage or what he says to us about our home and raising children. What he says to us about our work ethic and performing at our vocation. What he says about sharing with one another and sharing with others. What he says about excelling in generosity and investing in other people to to share the gospel with them. When we live in partial obedience, our testimony of life says the gospel is not worthy. And when you do any of these, what you end up doing is you form a God by your life instead of forming your life by God. And let me tell you what happens when you do that. When you form a God by your life, in other words, what you believe to be true about God is true because of the experiences or the exposures you've had to God, you inevitably downplay the miraculous that He's performed and you overextrapolate the pains or the wounds or the insufficiencies that you felt He's had. And God becomes limited to you To your experiences, to your knowledge, instead of you submitting all of those things to what the Word says is true about Him, and you forming your life in accordance to what the Bible teaches to say, I believe this about God, therefore I'm going to live it, whether I understand it, whether I agree with it, whether I like it, whether I even know where it's going to lead. That's what it means. Excuse me. If God is not good and worthy of praise, honor, and glory at all times, then let me ask you this why bother with Him at any time? But He is. Jesus is worthy. He's always worthy, all the way, in every way. So Christian, by every standard of measure for every conceivable situation and to every imaginable extent, our lives should be lived all the way in every way because the gospel proclaims the one who is infinitely and eternally gloriously worthy of our lives, who came all the way and gave all of himself for us. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. Christ followers live a life of all by gospel precedence to bear a faithful witness both in believing and in suffering. We live a life of all by gospel precedence to bear a faithful witness both in believing and suffering. Pardon me. Now I want to pause here for just a moment because I want to review our study from chapter one. This is I believe, important for the remainder of our study in Philippians. I want us to look quickly at Four convictions that lead to today's message. Convictions that Paul has established in his teaching. I want to remind them of you, but I want to press them up on our lives. Yes, the screen says five foundational convictions because we're going to get to the fifth before the end of the hour. But the first four are this. And don't write these down. I will make them available on my website. You can get them off of Realm uh, by the end of the day, first thing in the morning. So you'll have the... Excuse me. You'll have these, I want to provide them for you and listen to them now. Conviction number one, he says, God promises to complete his work of glorious redemption by the gospel at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.12 tells us, God purposes to advance the gospel in the world to the ends of the world. These are convictions that define what we understand about God that will therefore determine how we live our life. Conviction number three, gospel proclamation of Jesus as Lord, crucified, buried, risen, exalted, and reigning. All of those aspects of Jesus are the center and the glory of God's mission in the world. Verse 18 And then in verse 25, he told us that God progresses the growth and the maturity of his people in Christ's likeness for their joy in the faith. Now, we'll get to the fifth one here in a moment, but why do I build these? Because I want to remind us what Paul has been teaching us week after week after week, verse after verse after verse. Verse. And he's building to this climax, this this prioritized positioning and placement of what he's exhorting us in today. And he's building it on these very convictions. For he says that, that Christ followers give a precedence to the gospel by how we live our life and our behaviors and our actions and in our rhythms so that the walk of our Christian life aligns with the faithfulness of the talk of our Christian life. So the way that we live is a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. He offers three qualities of a gospel worthy life that bear a faithful witness, through which we bear a faithful witness. Look at verse 27 with me. The first quality is the unity of fellowship. He says, listen, I don't know if I'm going to make it back to you physically. You know, I'm in jail right now. I'm tied up trying to get to Caesar. I know God wants me to preach the gospel to Caesar and I'm going to try to get back. But if I don't, whether I'm there or in my absence, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one spirit. This is the unity of the fellowship. He wants to know that they are learning to practice a dependence upon Jesus through a participation with one another. A participation with one another. And by that participation, he says the Spirit of God works among the people of God to produce the work in the will and the way of God. And the unity of the fellowship flows from Two persistent behaviors for every person in the church. The first one is that every Christ follower lives out of their new identity in Jesus Christ. That's what we saw in verses 3 through 11 when we began our study. Everyone must be living out of their new identity and the unity of fellowship is actually a help for that. It encourages every person because if someone is not living in faithful obedience to Jesus, they can't be living in unity with the church. It's not about someone being perfect. It's not about anyone other than Jesus being perfect. It's about walking in by faith and obedience to him, believing what God's word says about them, what God's word says for them, and what God's word says to them. And sometimes that's a fight, is it not? That's why he says in Timothy Fight the good fight of the faith because sometimes our sin has rooted itself so deeply it's buried under a hard place in us, a callous, a rock of experience that we've had and that experience is burying a little bit of suspicion against God where we don't want to release that to Him. But the more time we spend with one another, we begin to see the faithfulness of God and the way He's worked in someone else's life and you go... Maybe he could do that for me too. Maybe he would do that for me too. The second aspect persistent behavior of this first quality is that each one is faithful to press in with the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because they've come to learn the value of the unity of fellowship for their own life, and they want to invest to strengthen it and to expand it and grow it for the benefit and the value of Of countless others. You see without living in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't be living faithful to your new identity in Christ. And quality number one of a gospel worthy life is this. It's the unity of fellowship. Is the gift of God's goodness from the Holy Spirit. When brothers and sisters dwell together in the unity of their spirit. The second quality is this. It's clarity of vision. Look back at verse 27. Immediately after that, he says, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is clarity of vision. Unity of spirit among the people produces a clarity of mind to understand the vision of serving the gospel side by side with one another. You see, vision is what defines the what. Of sharing and serving together, of that striving side by side. It is the vision that also not only defines the what, but it defines the why of serving and sharing together. They're contending for the faith of the gospel. They're contending for their own faith to strengthen their faith, but they're also contending so that others might come to faith in Jesus Christ and that others might be strengthened in their faith. You see, so often in this modern Christian mindset we think is evangelism is as something that is only done for people who aren't Christians and it's only something that's done to invite them to become Christians. That is an essential part of evangelism and a critical part of the church. But that's not the only purpose for evangelism. In evangelism, in this striving side by side for the faith. That comes in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Evangelism is something that, when one is sharing, the others are hearing, and side by side, their strength is or their faith is being strengthened because they're hearing the testimony of Jesus Christ. And yes, those who are not Christians are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, and we're praying that they too will have faith to become Christians. But listen, when you talk about what God has done for you in your life, and you get to the point where it all comes back to the cross of Jesus all of a sudden you hear yourself saying it and you go wow I actually believe what I just said and the more you say it the stronger your belief in it comes because you begin to realize how deeply that the spirit of God is really rooting the truth of God in you and so the more you believe it the more you say it. And oh my goodness, the more I say it, the more I believe it. And when you strive side by side with others, you're stirring them up. Sometimes you're talking about what God's doing in your life and you're sharing how he can do that in someone else's life. And it's the person you're talking to that is least affected because it's the person standing next to you that is most encouraged by it. Because that's how God works. There's never a wasted word with God neither for our faith nor for the faith of others. That's what clarity of vision does, friends. Contending for the gospel, strengthening their own faith, inviting others and strengthening the faith of others. But people struggle to serve the gospel when we forget or we neglect who we are in Christ. We quit talking about the gospel. We quit evangelizing. It just doesn't become that important. But clarity of vision Keeps it on the forefront of our mind. It clarifies the issue of who, of what, and of why simultaneously to fuel faithfulness to serve Jesus' commission by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to take just a moment on this 17th anniversary of our church, to go back to the very beginning and what is still as true today as it has ever been, but what was actually set forth months before we became a church. What you're seeing is an image called the life compass. And it is a holistic graphic of the vision of our church. We have striven for clarity of vision from the very beginning because we believe That when God's people understand who they are in Christ, it explains the what that they are to do for Christ and it fuels the why they would even bother with it. And it all syncs the what we do for Jesus with the who we are in Jesus. And the more we serve Jesus, the more we identify with him more deeply in our hearts and in our life. And so here's what we do. We herald the vision of a Christ follower's identity, worshiper and servant and disciple and missioner, you see. As the fruit of the gospel, this is what it means to be a real Christ follower, one who is engaging their heart to grow an all-encompassing love. Love for God by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one that engages their hands to transfer the great value of that love that they're living in from God, so other people come to know the love of God for their own life. We engage our minds to to, to gain an understanding of the gospel in light of the whole counsel of God's word, because. The Bible says that we're being transformed by the renewal of our minds, the light of the glory of God in Christ Jesus is shining through us by the light of his word that is lighting our path and guiding our steps. And so we're seeking to apply the truth of God and his whole counsel to the whole of our life and to walk in that. But as missioners, we are living to engage the feet, to take the truth of the glory of Jesus Christ that has come to us through the gospel so the whole world from our neighbor to the nations might know clarity of vision friends is where everything gets defined by the gospel the who of the wsdm for the what of making disciples by the who the glory or by the why the glory of king jesus and so just to bring it one last time into real time Verbiage for us, real Christ followers in life together for more Jesus by telling every person you are loved. The third quality of a gospel worthy life unity and fellowship, clarity of vision, steeled in missional resolve. Paul says, not frightened in anything by your opponents but the way that you respond to threats becomes a testimony to what you really believe about Jesus and that's what he says he says this last quality of a gospel worthy life is an unyielding unrelenting determined perseverance to serve him he expands this from his own life that we've already looked at over the last decade plus in the first chapter of what has happened to him but he says but it's not just about me it's universal for all followers of Jesus Christ you see when we understand a life of gospel precedence in all things we certainly began to see the value of a right perspective about our life and also We see a Jesus-prioritized pattern for our thinking in the way that we go about our life, but also placing the precedence for our life of what God is doing and wants to do in us so that we do not become frightened and lose heart because being frightened and losing heart is not what God has done for us. Paul tells Timothy that God gave us a spirit not of fear, not of timidness, but of power and of love and of of a sound mind or self-control. Why? Because he wants us to see for our life what is true of him and the life that we have because of Jesus Christ. God wants us to look at all of our suffering. God wants us to look at all of our hardship and our hurt in this life. And he wants us as we cast our gaze upon it to keep the precedence of the gospel at the forefront so that we see he who is within us is greater than all of those. Those who come against us. That's the strength of heart that steals us in missional resolve. Acts records that every time the disciples were threatened, when they were beat for their faithful testimony, it did not cause them to shrink back. Rather, it caused them to be encouraged that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. Of Christ. And the way we remain faithful, he says, actually becomes a testimony both to believers and to non believers of the power of God for salvation. That's what he says. Look, this is a clear sign, that's testimony right there, to them of their destruction. Speaking of unbelievers, what does he mean by their destruction? He means ultimate, eternal destruction separation, damnation. You say, well, why would we want people to know that? Because it's critical to the gospel. There are none that are righteous, not even one. No one seeks God. No one knows God. No one cares anything about God. But God loves you. God loves you and he wants you to know the life that he has for you. And Paul says, when we remain steeled in missional resolve in the face of threats against us, it serves as a testimony of those who are outside the faith in Jesus Christ that whatever it is that is in us is worth giving up even our life because it's more worthy than our own life. I read just this morning of William Tyndall. I used the English Standard Version of the Bible to preach from. And in the mid-early 1500s, about 1524, William Tyndall interpreted the first translation from the original languages. Two years later, he was martyred because people were so angry about him interpreting and translating the Bible. He didn't flinch. You and I have the English translation today because men and women throughout history had a steeled resolve for the mission of God and they gave their life to it because Jesus was worthy. All and in every way. The third quality of a gospel-worthy life is that only a heart fully consumed by Jesus can be steeled in missional resolve because every other is preoccupied with satisfying all the little idols of life. Now, the last two verses, and I'll be finished. He tells us in verse 29 and 30 that God gives two gifts of grace to the gospel-worthy life. And here's what he says in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. The Greek word translated it has been granted means simply that what is granted is a sign of grace from God. And the one receiving it receives it as grace will from the giver so the recipient is seeing it as their good because the giver is giving it out of his grace and so when you look at this it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ to believe and to suffer we understand this that for the Christian believing in God for eternal life is the gift of his grace to us and suffering for his sake is also his gift of grace to us. Listen to me, friends. This is the most important aspect of apologetics and evangelistic fervor in Christianity today. Because the principal argument against God is if he is really good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? And Paul answers it for the Christian When he says that Jesus is worthy, he says because for the Christian, when we suffer for Christ's sake, it is his gift to us. And I'll expand it beyond just our text for today, but from the whole counsel of God. I said this a couple of weeks ago, even if your suffering didn't start for Christ's sake, you can redeem it for his sake. I think I use the word stupid more times than anyone ought to in a sermon that week. But when we live stupid, and we do stupid things sometimes, right? Even stupid things can bring the good of God by His grace to our life when we seek Him for the redeeming power of the gospel. That's why I say, all the way in every way, there is no measure Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We fear nothing because there is nothing to fear. In Christ. Suffering is not evidence against God. And that's what Paul says here. It's actually a testimony of the opposite. For the believer, it says, Jesus is worthy of suffering in a brother or a sister's life. Therefore, I should be encouraged that when I encounter suffering, I can stand faithful as well. But to the unbeliever, it is not wasted because God says it is a testimony to them of their destruction outside of Christ pleading with them to come to faith in Christ. Suffering is not a blight against God. It is a gift of His goodness and His grace to us. And when a Christ follower remains steeled in missional resolve, it serves as a faithful witness to Jesus that He is good in all at all times. All in every way he is worthy and so I return for that fifth and final conviction that we must anchor our lives in today verse 29 God empowers a Christ follower all by a life of gospel precedence in believing and suffering for Christ's sake friends when times get hard when hurt is deep When the burdens of life are heavy. When our wounds seek to drive us away from God. The one whose life is hidden with God in Christ. We do not shrink back because Jesus is worthy. All the way in every way. We do not fear what may, what might, or what will come. Because when we believe that God is good in all, we know He will be good to us. And a Christian's faithfulness to believe in Jesus, even and especially in suffering, bears a faithful witness. He suffered for us. He will not abandon us in our suffering. He came all the way and He gave all of Himself. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.